morning and welcome to all of you that are gathered here in the sanctuary with us this morning as well as those listening on radio and watching us on YouTube live. First I want to say thank you to the praise team with Sharon for the great prelude this morning. I do have several announcements before we start our service. First of all congratulations to Chris and Sarah Vudemark on the birth of their son Rowan Paul who arrived on September 23rd. He is the grandson of Ned and Rebecca Vudemark. Tammy and Tim Eldridge, and David Clark. The adult Sunday school class, which meets following worship in the ministry center, will not be held today. It will resume next Sunday. There is a new women's Bible study starting on Tuesday, October 11th, or you can call the church office. That concludes my announcements today. So those who are able, would you please rise for a call to worship. This morning it is taken from Psalm 31, verses 1 through 3. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Please remain standing for our opening hymns. We're singing hymn number 51 and 52, the Mark verses only.
as the children come forward for the children's chat with Tori, please take a moment and greet one another. Good morning. I sounded a little tired. Are you guys tired? No? Hey, isn't it your birthday today? It's your birthday. Happy birthday. All right, so I got a question for you. What kinds of things are you good at? If you were to say, I'm good at this, what would it be? Soccer, okay. Gymnastics. Coloring. What are you good at? What? Soccer. Building. All of those things are great things. So who gave you those talents and the things that you're good at? God. Yeah, God gave them to you. Do you think God wants you to keep all those talents and things to yourself? No. What does he want you to do with them? We're supposed to share them, right? If you're a good builder, you can help other people build stuff, right? So... Pastor Joel last week started a new sermon series all about the church in the book of Acts. And so in the book of Acts, the church had been sharing and they've been taking care of each other. And the church started to grow really, really fast, so fast that they really couldn't keep up with all of the new things that were happening. And so they started to notice that when they gave out food, that people were getting missed. Some people weren't receiving the food that they were supposed to be getting. And so the apostles decided to choose seven special guys to make sure that everyone had the food that was needed and that everyone was being taken care of and nobody was being looked over. So these guys had to work together to use their gifts to um, help the church and to make sure that everything was going smoothly, right? So I have another question for you. What do you think it takes to make everything happen on Sunday mornings? Does the praise team have to come in and practice? Yep. Does someone have to be here to turn on the lights and the heat and everything? Uh huh. Okay. So, uh, does God have to help Pastor Joel write a sermon every week? Mm hmm. Yep. What about your Sunday school teachers? Yeah, they do a lot to get ready for Sundays, right? They pray for you throughout the week. They got to come up with the lesson plan and figure out what they're going to teach. All of those things. Do they do a really good job? They do. They do a great job. So, but we also need you guys because it would be kind of strange for me to be up here giving a children's chat with none of you up here, right? Mm-hmm. And would we have a Sunday school program without any of you? No, we wouldn't. We need you too. And that's one of the coolest things about being a part of the church is that we need each other, right? We can't do it alone. And so we need people to come in and get the church ready for Sunday mornings. We need the worship team. We need each other to, to really have church on Sunday morning, right? Because we need each other. So God has given us lots of talents, lots of gifts that we can use even on Sunday mornings to help build up the church and to strengthen the body of Christ, okay? So let's pray, and then you guys can head back to your family. Father God, I thank you for these children. I thank you for all the gifts and the talents that you are building up into them, Lord. I pray that they would use those gifts and talents for your glory and help us to build up our church, Lord, in the way that you want it to go. We love you, and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tori. You guys can head back to your seats. It's really wonderful to see all these children up here for Children's Chat week in and week out. Um, and it's a great way for us as a church to be able to share God's word with these children on Sunday mornings. Um, before we collect our offering, I want to just 
point your attention once again to uh, the Awana announcement that's in our bulletin. Um, we are starting Awana this week, and it's uh, speaking of great ways to share God's word with children. This is another opportunity that we have as a church to come around these children and to pour into them. And we're really excited to see what God's going to do with this ministry. So the information is in your bulletin. We are starting this Wednesday from 6 to 730, and it is not too late to sign up. We still, you can uh, still register either through the church website or by filling out a, a paper registration that we have here at the church. And we'd love to see you and your kids participating in Awana. Just a reminder, the age range is from is preschool through sixth grade. And we have three different classes that will be meeting. And it's going to be a great opportunity to, to share God's word and really disciple these children, to raise them, to know the Lord and hide his word in their hearts. Uh, one bit of information last week, it said that the time was 7 to 8.30, uh, but it's actually 6 to 7.30. It's correct everywhere else. It's correct on the website. It's correct in your bulletin here today. But if you're looking at the newsletter, know that it's the time in there is wrong for Awana starting this week. The other thing I want to mention is the blue jug. Um, for those of you who regularly attend here at First Church, you know that's a familiar sight up here whenever there's a a need or oftentimes natural disaster or something like that, we, we put out the blue jug in order to collect an additional offering to go and support disaster relief in that area. So we'll have the blue jug st- out starting today, um, in, in the money that's donated through the blue jug will go to support hurricane disaster relief in, uh, as a result of Hurricane Ian. So um, just want to encourage you to give to that if you feel so led to do so. At this time, I do want to invite the deacons to come forward and collect our offering for us today.
Father God, we come before you now and we lift our voices together as one, declaring your praises, singing of your glory and your goodness, and trusting in your faithfulness, Lord. As we sing these songs from, uh, from our hymnal, from these, these praise, newer praise songs, Lord, they all remind us of your faithfulness, your goodness, your provision for your people. And so we stand here, Lord, together saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We are so grateful for who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, it is your faithfulness in the past that that assures us and gives us hope that you will continue to be faithful in the present and that you will also be faithful in the future. Look at these lyrics from Hymn of Heaven, which just remind us that no matter what we face in this world today, the hardships, the trials, the tribulations, even the joys in this world will one day pass. And that one day we will stand before you in your kingdom where death itself will be a thing of the past and we will worship you with your saints and your angels forever and ever. We thank you, Lord, for that hope and that promise. And I pray it is that hope and that promise that sustains us through whatever today may bring. Lord, we know that you have already provided everything we need through your son, Jesus Christ that you've already given us every spiritual blessing in heaven and earth and that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so we trust that you will provide what is lacking, that you will bring healing to our bodies. But Lord, we also trust in your good and perfect will, which is sometimes beyond our comprehension. And so for those that are longing for healing, that has not come. For those that truly do rely on you for their daily bread. For those that have experienced the brokenness in this world. Lord, remind us that our ultimate hope and our ultimate healing and our ultimate provision does not come in this life, but will be made real when you return that when you welcome us into your kingdom. And so, Lord, help us to keep our sights on you and in you alone. Lord, we pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so we pray for our national government at this time. We lift up our president, the Congress, the Supreme Court, and other elected and appointed officials. May you bless them, Lord. May you work in and through them and their hearts and their minds. May they have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness that they would be filled. And Lord, we also pray for this church in this place. Lord, there's a, a cornerstone in, in that uh, corner of the building that reminds us that, that it was 100 years ago that that addition to the building was dedicated to you. And Lord, we acknowledge that church is, is so much more than a building and so much more than a physical space to gather it is the people of God gathered here together in this space. But dates like that are reminders of your goodness and your faithfulness and your provision to your people over the years. And we thank you and praise you, Lord, for that here in this place. And we pray and ask that you'd continue to provide for us into the future. Lord, beyond physical buildings, but provide for your people that we may seek hard after you, that we may delight in you and your law and your word and that we would be a people that are defined by your love and your holiness and your righteousness and your mercy. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. The scripture reading comes today from Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, 
the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn their responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a convert to and Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented the men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord for the people. Thank you, Anita. Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you that we can open your word together now. And I pray that as we read it and study it together, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today, and that you would give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So just one more reminder here before we dive in that we last week started another church reading plan, reading through the book of Acts. And um, there's copies of this available if you want to take one and tuck it away in your Bible. But we're encouraging you starting this past Monday uh, to read through the book of Acts together as we study uh, and and as I preach from the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to do this was so that we could focus in and, and learn some lessons about how to be an active church. And the book of Acts is a great place to go to, um, to, to learn some lessons and learn some principles of what it means to be an active church and to, to truly be the kind of church that God is calling us to be. Now, it's also good to remind ourselves that there's no one size fits all program or paradigm for church ministry. I'm sure many of you have spent time at other churches. Maybe you've attended another church in the past or you visited other churches while you were away from New Knoxville. And we've often, I I know I've done this before, and and obviously I've been a part of other churches, uh, but also as a pastor, when I visit other churches, I can't help but think of what they're doing and how they're doing it. It's hard to turn that switch off in my head. And so I'll often see what's going on and think, oh, that, that's a really good idea. We might be able to do that at first church, or, or I don't like the way that they did that, and we should avoid that. But we often come away from our experiences visiting other churches with kind of a list of things that we wish we could do or avoid at our own church. But it's important to remember that there is no one-size-fits-all paradigm. Every church is unique, and what works there might not work here or vice versa. And we may fall into the trap if we're not careful of thinking that the grass is going to be greener on the other side. And sometimes we can have that same sort of attitude when we read through the book of Acts. We look at what was happening in the early church and think that must have been the golden era for the church, right? Everything was perfect. Everything was great. They had all of this fellowship and teaching and worship and there were no issues. Well, they did have their own unique challenges and circumstances, just like churches today do. And we can witness one of those early issues, early struggles, through our passage in the book of Acts today. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at them and, and kind of learn what they, how they responded to this problem and what we may learn from it. And so when we think about what it means to be an active church, we can learn from Acts chapter 6 that an active church is a church that equips its members to meet a variety of both practical and spiritual needs. Now, let me say that again, because I think that's kind of important. An active church is a church that equips its members to meet a variety of both practical and spiritual needs. So let's jump into the passage here and learn what we can about that. First of all, we see that the ministry of the church met both practical and spiritual needs in the book of Acts. Every church, the early church, had a custom of pooling their resources to help those who were in need. We see that from passages like Acts chapter 2, verse 45. Speaking of the early church, it says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. 
In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, it says, All believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from the time, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, as we read passages like that, as I said before, it's easy to, it's prescriptive. What I mean by that is they describe the situation as it was, not necessarily telling us that that's what we have to do in return, but we can learn from them and learn, take principles out of that. In other words, we're not saying, I'm not standing here saying that you need to go today and sell all of your property, sell all of your possessions and, and pool your money together here at the church. That's not, I, I don't think that's what this passage is intending to teach us. But it is teaching us that we as a church have an obligation to meet the needs in our community as we are able to meet them, especially among the family of God. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that's what they were doing, and that's what we should continue to do as well. Sacrificially give so that we can meet the needs of those in our church and in our community. But there was an issue that they were running into. So as they were attempting to do that, some of the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Essentially, the disciples here were were running a soup kitchen, right? There were people who had no other means, no other uh, source of income or food, and so they were providing for the needy people among them. And in the middle of that process, unfortunately, some of the widows, particularly the ones that spoke Greek, were being overlooked. They They weren't getting the food that they needed. And so that problem was brought to the attention of the apostles. And as Tori mentioned in the children's chat, they appointed seven men to distribute the food so that they could continue to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. You see, the church is called to meet both practical and spiritual needs. Notice the way that they solved this problem. They didn't ignore one or the other, but they set up a system where they could meet both the practical and the spiritual needs of the people. God created us with physical bodies, right? He created Adam out of the dust of the earth, and he called it very good. Don't overlook that, right? We're not just souls trapped in physical bodies. We're made both body and soul by God, and he provides for both our physical and spiritual needs. So we cannot neglect the practical for the sake of the spiritual, but neither can we neglect the spiritual for the sake of the practical. The trap that some churches fall into is that they focus on one to the neglect of the other. Some churches are so focused on so-called social justice issues that they neglect the clear biblical teaching that the concern for those is based on. And on the other hand, though, some churches are so focused on correct doctrine and spiritual matters that they neglect the practical needs of their own church or of their neighbors in the community. Church, it doesn't have to be that way, right? And we see here in the book of Acts that the church, the early church focused on both the practical and the spiritual needs of the people. There were people in the early church that were falling through the cracks and they put a system in place so that that wouldn't happen anymore. We don't want people to fall through the cracks here either, right? We don't want people to to be missed either for practical or spiritual needs because they're not noticed or we as a church don't take an effort to notice them. And so we need to do a better job of noticing what those needs are in our congregation and in our community so that we can meet them with the resources and the gifts that God has provided for us. The church is called to meet both the practical and spiritual needs of the community. James sums it up like this in James 1, verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself being polluted by the world. Notice how he's holding both the practical needs and the spiritual needs together as one. Right? Religion that is pure and faultless is this, to take care of the orphans and the widows, to take care of those who are vulnerable, to be there for people in their time of need. But that's not all of it. 
also to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, to focus on holiness and righteousness and purity, to focus on following Christ and loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The two go hand in hand. They're not separate issues. And James goes on in chapter 2 to talk about how faith without works is dead. He talks about if you see someone in need and simply tell them, keep warm and well-fed, but do nothing to meet their needs, then our faith is dead and useless. Church, we're called to, to not neglect one for the other, but to keep both at the center of our ministry. And so we're called to meet both the practical and spiritual needs, but, and we do so as a church by equipping believers to use their God-given spiritual gifts. We meet the needs by equipping believers to use their God-given spiritual gifts. Here's how I think this situation probably could be handled in a lot of modern-day churches. Right, a problem like the one described in Acts 6 is brought to the attention of church leadership, and the solution is for the church leadership to handle the problem. All right, sometimes in some churches, that's just the pastor. Sometimes it's just a small group of volunteers that have other jobs and families to worry about as well. Churches often find themselves in kind of a top-heavy leadership structure where a small group of people are doing a majority of the work. A lot of churches are plagued by what's called the 90-10 rule, right? 10% of the people do 90% of the work, and that leads to burnout and frustration and all sorts of other problems. But notice how the 12 apostles handed the issue here. They didn't just say, well, okay, I'll take care of it. We'll make sure it gets done. No, they recognized that there was a problem, and they recognized that they didn't have the time or the resources to address it adequately, so they appointed people to serve. They recognized the need and equipped and empowered other people to meet that need. And it's not a new idea in in the book of Acts. We see this same sort of model happening all the way back in the book of Exodus in chapter 18. As Moses, after Moses had led, his pe- led the people out of slavery in Egypt and they were in the wilderness, Moses' own father-in-law recognized that the way Moses was leading was not good. You see, Moses had the custom of sitting in the seat of judgment and all day long people would come one after the, another, one after the other to ask for his advice and wisdom and guidance in their situation. And Moses was stuck there from morning till evening talking to the people. And and Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing and recognized that it wasn't good. He said in beginning of verse 18, he says, You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for all the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Right, similar problem and similar solution right there from the book of Exodus and also from the book of Acts. I think there's a principle that we can learn from this. One person or a small group of people cannot possibly meet both the practical and spiritual needs of God's people. Not because there is an inherent dichotomy between the practical and the spiritual. It's simply because people are limited in their time and their resources and their energy. Right, one person cannot possibly be in two places at once. A few people cannot fully meet the needs of an entire community. Some pastors have a savior complex. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Where they feel like they got to take out all of the needs. As a pastor myself, I know how easy it is to place too high of expectations on myself. But as the passage from Exodus and this one from Acts reminds us that, that we're doing a disservice to ourselves. I'm doing a disservice to you if I think that I need to fix everything myself. Or if, or if there's a small group of people that are trying to do all the work. No, we need to learn to identify and appoint and equip and empower people to serve as God has gifted them. 
really that's what our job as ministry leaders is, is to identify and equip people for the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 teaches us. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 13 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Right? We are called to equip people for the works of service. And until we learn to do that, until we, until we lean into that, we're not going to reach the full measure of the fullness of Christ. That We're not going to be built up the way that God calls us to. We need to learn to equip people for works of service. Some of you may think, right, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any spiritual gifts. I don't have much to contribute as, in way of service. But let me tell you, you're wrong. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift. Now, you may not know what it is, right? You may not have discerned that, but you do have a spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are Holy Spirit-enabled abilities that carry on the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And one of the ways that you can, you can try to figure out your spiritual gifts is by praying, right? Asking the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand what your spiritual gifts are. So you pray and ask for, that, for, for God to help you discover your spiritual gifts. But then you also need to learn to put them into practice. You need to develop them, right? Give yourself an opportunity to serve in a certain area so that you can know whether or not that's your spiritual gift. And then after a time of prayer, after a time of developing that, then you and, and you know, trusted others can go to the Lord and try to discern whether or not that's your spiritual gift. Maybe you try something out and you realize that is not how God gifted you. That's okay, right? It's, it's good to be able to acknowledge that and recognize that. But sometimes you will do something that you never thought you were made to do or never thought that was one of your gifts and you realize something clicks. But you will never know that. You will never discover that until you give it a try. Notice here too that they did not just appoint random people to these positions. In Exodus, we were reminded uh, Moses' father-in-law reminded him to pick men who feared God, were trustworthy, and hated dishonest gain. In Acts chapter 6, we're told that these men were full of faith and um, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, we, we fill church leadership positions with the warm body approach, right? We just need someone to step in. Hopefully, over the course of their time in that position, they'll kind of figure it out. Compare what happened, and I mentioned last week, Matthias in Acts chapter 1, right? They, they cast lots to figure out who was going to be that 12th disciple to replace Judas. And I mentioned they did that, right? And, and Matthias was never heard from again. Now compare that to what has happened here in Acts chapter 6, that, that people intentionally were chosen because of their character and their conduct. People that were known to be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they were the ones put in that position. And two of the seven are, are, go on to, be, to play uh, prominent roles in the, following, in the next few chapters in Acts. Stephen is martyred for his faith, known as, one of, is known as the first martyr. Philip is described as going on these missionary journeys and reaching people. These were men who were chosen for a purpose because they displayed the kind of character and conduct that was needed to fill those roles. And so the people are empowered and equipped to serve in those different areas. And the reason why the apostles do that is so that they can then focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. It's important to remember that how central prayer and the ministry of the word is, important, is to, the, to the life of the church. We cannot separate those two things. When we think of the word, right, we think of what is preached on Sunday morning, but it's more than that. It's, it's the Sunday school classes, it's the Bible studies, it's our own time studying and reading and meditating on God's word. And our time in God's word is going to be hollow and shallow if it's not accompanied by prayer. And the, the other way is true as well. Our prayer life will be meandering and it'll be powerless without the word. 
without the knowledge of God's word, without the knowledge of his promises that he makes us. And so we cannot separate those two things, but they are both central to the life of the church. Biblical literacy is crucial for churches, the church's ministry and mission. Leaders must teach and preach the word of God faithfully and boldly. And the people must be equipped to read and study it on their own. Right? That's why Bible reading plans like this are so important because we want you to be in the word on your own. And, and the, we've been, uh, if you notice, we've been doing more um, entire books of the Bible recently, right? All four gospels over the summer, the book of Acts here in the fall. Starting in January, we're actually going to challenge us as a church to read through the entire Bible in the year together. And we believe that's important because we need to know God's word and we need to keep it central to our ministry as a church because it's through God's word that we know and understand who God is and have a relationship with him. And finally, I want to close by highlighting the results of having a ministry focused like this. If, if, if an active church is one that equips its members to meet a variety of both practical and spiritual needs, we see what the results can be from this passage in Acts chapter 6. Notice in verse 1, it says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, right, that's the context, the number of disciples was increasing, the church was growing. But notice what happens in verse 7. After this after, after these individuals are equipped to serve and the church is, strategizes to meet a variety of both practical and spiritual needs, it says the word in verse 7, the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. The church went from increasing to increasing rapidly. That's a big difference. It's one word in the, in the, in the Bible, but it's a big difference. It's like the difference between addition and multiplication. Right? Two plus two is four. Four plus two is six. Six plus two is eight. Right? You notice there's, there's addition. It's growing, and that's a good thing. But the difference between that and multiplication is huge. Two times two is four. Four times two is eight. Eight times two is 16. 16 times two is 32. You see where I'm going with this? That's the difference. When we learn to, to equip and empower people for ministry, when we learn to focus on meeting the practical and spiritual needs of God's people, we will go from a church that is just adding to a church that is multiplying. And that's a huge difference. And that's the kind of church I want us to be. There's one other note in verse 7. It says a large number of priests were being added, uh, came to faith and, and put their faith in Jesus. I think those priests represent uh, the, the older brothers, um, and that's a reference to uh, the story of the prodigal son, right? The older brother was the one who never left. That it was through his obedience that the father loved him. But the father in that story invited the older brother just as he invited the younger brother in, not based on their actions, but based on the relationship of father and son. The priests represent people who supposedly already had it all figured out, people who had committed their lives to serving God, and that yet they too needed to admit their need for God and that Jesus is their Savior and Lord. See, a church that meets the practical and spiritual needs of the community by empowering and equipping God's people to serve. And a church that commits to keeping prayer and the word central is a church that relies on God's power. Why do they go from adding to their numbers daily to adding rapidly to multiplying? It's not because of some new ministry strategy or the latest, greatest church growth fad. It's because they learned through equipping believers and keeping the word and prayer central that they were relying not on themselves, but on the power of God to do the work. They were relying on God to move in and through his people. And that's why the change took place. We want to be an active church. We want to be an equipped church. That's how we do it. We rely more fully on the power of God to work in and through us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the, your word, which, which helps us to understand how to more fully rely on you as individuals, but also as a church. Lord, help us to be a church that, that equips and empowers people to serve you, Lord, by using the gifts that you've given them. 
Help us to be a church that keeps the word and prayer central to our lives because we know that a prayerless church is an ineffective church. And that it is through your word that we can know, come to know and understand who you are and what you've done for us. And so we pray that you would help us to be that kind of church now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper this morning, I invite you to stand and sing with us number 196. There is a fountain. We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3. just a moment, I'm going to invite you forward um, to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. And as we do that today, um, we're going to do things just a little bit different than we've done recently on Sunday mornings. We're still going to invite you forward um, to receive the bread and the cup, and we invite you to take those elements back to your seat. Now, in the past, we just invited you to take them as you feel led to do so, maybe after a time of prayer and quiet reflection with the Lord. But this time, if you're able to, I invite you to hold on to those. Still spend some time praying. That's a good thing. But we're going to let everybody come through the line. We're going to let everybody get their bread and get the cup. And then we're going to take those elements together as a sign of unity in the body of Christ, as a sign of the oneness that we have. As, as we are united in Christ, we are also united and connected to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So after we pray and I bless the elements, I'm going to invite you forward, just like we normally would, 
But again, I just invite you to hold on to those elements and, and we will take them together. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the love and grace and mercy that you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that his body was broken and his blood was shed, that our sins would be forgiven. And so as we come to the table this morning, Lord, we, we come at your invitation because we are sinners who need to receive grace and mercy from you. Lord, we acknowledge that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And so hear us now in the silence of our hearts as we confess our sins to you. We hold on to the promise, Lord, that you are faithful, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died for us, that you took our sin upon your shoulders, and that in return we receive your righteousness. We praise you and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul wrote, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who've received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, we invite you to take the sacrament to your comfort. Thank you. 
invite you to take the bread. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. you to take the cup. This cup is the new covenant in his blood poured out that our sins would be forgiven. Take and drink knowing that he died for you. pray together again. We do praise you, Lord Jesus, because you did take away our debt, that though our sins were like scarlet, you have made us white as snow. And we are so thankful for that. As we are about to go from this place, we ask that your spirit would go with us, that you would fill us and that we may live to know and serve and love you in this world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.